So this is a pumpkin. Pumpkin swirl cheesecake. cheesecake. Yes. Okay. And I guess is it the kind of like the pumpkin pie filling on top with the cheesecake underneath? I take a little bit of pumpkin pie filling and and mix it into some of the cheesecake batter and then I put dollops of that on top and then swirl it through with a knife and I and I add spices to the pumpkin pie uh, filling and that's how you get all that spicy goodness through there and yet it's a nice rich thick dense cheesecake and kind of a New York style which is my favorite all right well here is the taste test Mmm, that is wonderful. Oh, I'm glad you like it. That is so wonderful. It's the the pumpkin flavor really comes through at first, and then you get the real kind of the the cheesecake flavor, the real Mm -hmm. the tang and a little bit of sweetness. Uh huh. That I'm going I'm going for another bite because (laughs) (laughs) Jacqueline, you're singing my song. (laughs) That is just amazing that is wonderful good thank you i'm so Mm. glad you enjoy it and that's one of the recipes that's in the new show a home for christy rost thanksgiving and it's so smooth i mean it's just like smooth as silk wonderful thank you i love watching people's faces when they take the first bite and you see their eyes start to crinkle and then and then their mouths turn into a big smile before they even swallow it all the way (laughs) (laughs) yeah well that certainly is um some of the best cheesecake i've had that is that is wonderful thank you thank you (laughs) um just a little introduction here you're an author, a longtime television host of Just Like Home, radio personality, culinary instructor, freelance writer, stylist, spokesperson, MC, a popular guest speaker, a registered nurse. You have taught at Surlot Table, Whole Foods, Market Street, The Cook's Nook, Visions, The Women's Expo, The Outdoor Flower and Living Show, Texas Home and Garden Expos, Texas Cooks, Taste, Addison. You have given presentations at Macy's, Foley's, Cost Plus, World Market, Mikasa, and Kaufman department stores and I could go on but I think the point has been Phew, made I'm exhausted <laughs> <laughs> so where where do you get your energy and what inspires you where do I get my energy I would say I inherited that Jacqueline from my mother my mom is just a non-stop kind of woman she she can just run me right under the table and um, I've just always had lots of energy and I get my inspiration really I think it started in my mother's kitchen and in one of my grandmother's kitchens Um, my mom did not learn how to cook when she was growing up her mother prefer and I just found this out a few years ago Mm -hmm. her mother preferred that she do the cooking herself and everybody else stayed out of the kitchen so my mom told me a few years ago she really never learned how to cook until she got married and she said wow did that I have some disasters, you know. It was a real hard learning process. And she had four daughters. And she decided that when her daughters started to show any interest in the kitchen at all, she was not going to handle it like her mother did. She was going to say, sweetie, if you want to cook, get in the kitchen and here you are just clean up your mess when you're done. And uh, we all did. We all 
are really good cooks. Um, and each of us has our own specialty. Uh, mine was baking. I became the baker for um, for the Schnee's family. Aha, I yes. Guess the proof the, is in the cheesecake. <laughs> the proof is in the cheesecake. Thank you so much. I hadn't thought about that. But uh, yeah, you know, I just, that's naturally what I gravitate to. When I can't think of what to make for a television show, I always go to baking because the ideas and everything just come to me. But um, anyway, so I, I loved baking. I spent a lot of time in my mom's kitchen baking and cleaning up my mess when I was done. And, um, and my grandmother, Henrietta, my father's mother, um, was a beautiful baker. Oh, my God goodness she could turn out anything and it was gorgeous and it always looked beautiful it was always you know just divine to the to the mouth and um I realized that baking was a very creative process and um and that is what inspired me was just that the the creativity of making the dish and making it look fabulous. So I was particularly known for my cookies. And that's because I could make them all different shapes. I could decorate them. I could, you know, make different flavors. I could do all kinds of things with cookies. And, uh, and I continue to. And, um, and so really, I think that's where the creativity started. Um, also, when my sisters were little, um, I prepared Saturday breakfast for them. And, um, it was served in courses. Now, <laughs> when you're, you know, seven, eight, nine years old and you're serving breakfast in courses, I think that's an indication that, you know, <laughs> food is in. very important. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> That's a wonderful story. So you have a special airing on PBS this November at home for Christy Rost Thanksgiving. And a home is a very personal place. Why did you share your story about the trials and tribulations of restoring this hundred-year-old home? Okay. A home for Christy Ross Thanksgiving, which will air on PBS stations and Create TV stations uh, nationwide this November, um, was really the culmination of a dream. It was a dream of my husband, Randy's, and mine to have a place of our own in Colorado. Now, I'm a Dallas girl. I live, you know, just up the road. and um, But we've been going to Colorado ever since our honeymoon. And we took the kids there, and we had a little family condo that... Uh, Randy's parents owned and um, which we just sold a few weeks ago so all these years um, we've had this little condo um, we knew that one day we wanted to have a place in Colorado and we actually Randy and I spoke about um, wanting to live in Colorado since before we were married so you know one day this was going to happen and a few years ago we went up there and uh, we'd been talking about it a lot. It was the first time we ever planned a five-week stay. And the idea was to find either land or a house that we could um, call our own. Uh, we thought we'd go for the land and then ultimately build. But in the process of looking, Randy made this turn on a road, on a left-hand turn that 
and he said, I think I'm going to turn here. I said, no, I don't think so. I don't want to go down there. And he said, no, I think I'm going to turn here. So we started down this road. We'd never been on it before. All the years that we'd been in Summit County, we had never gone on this road. And I was looking at the houses left and right, and I thought, no, this isn't what I want. And all, and all of a sudden, I said, wait, stop. I saw a sign. So we backed up, and there was a sign that said, for sale, inquire within. And way, way back down this long driveway was this beautiful two-story white clapboard house with a huge red roof and all this land and surrounded by trees and all. And I thought, what an unusual house to be in the mountains. It looked more like it should have been in the Midwest or in New England. Well, it wasn't until we were introducing ourselves to the owner and started on a tour through the house that we realized this was a very old house. In fact, it is the largest historic house in all of Summit County. And so we went through the house oh, three different times. We hiked the 14 acres and all, and we knew that we really liked it, but boy, was this going to be a big undertaking if we decided to buy it. Well, ultimately, we, you know, we just had to have this house. So we bought the house. Then we discovered that big undertaking was a, a um, uh, you know, just a, a tip of the iceberg <laughs> because when you get into a historic home or any home project and you start tearing out the walls that have holes in them anyway, so you have to tear them out, uh, and you find, oh gosh, didn't expect this. You know, there are always surprises. They're always uh, labor intensive and they're always costly. But that's costly. the exciting thing. It's very about exciting. Historic homes is it is yeah, and you know, we found out that this home had been built by a gold baron, and um, Ben Stanley Rivet is known as the Gold Dredge King. And in fact, I have a gold vault right off my old kitchen where he stored his fortune and um now i store it's it's a butler's pantry now i store serving pieces and beautiful crystal and my wine so that's my <laughs> that's fortune <laughs> did you turn that into your wine cellar <laughs> yes it is my wine cellar but this has been a, an incredible project and um and you know we had to have vision when we saw this house. And a lot of people, when they go into a home like this that needs so much work, the downstairs was very 1970s. And, you know, whatever image comes to your mind about that, that's what it looked like. And the upstairs was still circa 1800s. It had a lot of original wiring. It had a lot of... Uh, very, very dated plumbing, um, and the electrical, well, most of the lighting upstairs was a single bulb hanging in the ceiling with, with a wire down to a plug, you know, and sometimes there was black around the plug, so I, you know, the first thing I did was unplug all those things so we wouldn't have a fire, but, um, but the vision wasn't just for fixing this house. The vision was for bringing back the sense of home and comfort and really celebrating 
home and family. And that's what I'm all about, is celebrating home and family and making memories for my family and making our neighbors and our friends feel like they're part of our family. And by taking on this project, not only were we restoring a very important part of Colorado history, because Swan's Nest, which Ben Rivette in 1898 named it Swan's Nest, um, Swan's Nest is known as one of the 50 most historic homes in the state of Colorado. So we had the opportunity to create a, a sense of home and comfort and love and friendship in this home and to celebrate this every day. And I don't mean there's a party every day, but but I, I just firmly believe that you celebrate the, the you know, the bounty of and the blessings of what you have every day. And there's no better way to do that than at Thanksgiving. And so it had to be a Thanksgiving show. <laughs> <laughs> so this how do you think the the history of this home will now influence your family and the generations in your family? Oh, I think that's such a good question, Jacqueline. Um, The history of this home was the man who built it, Ben Stanley Rivette, built this home as a gift, a wedding gift for his bride. And it was built as a summer home. We have, we now make it a year-round home. Um, But he was known as a very flamboyant character. He was also known... Certainly, if he has a gold store. A gold vault, no kidding. (laughs) Um, (laughs) He was about five foot eight and uh, weighed over 300 pounds. So all of the doorways are 42 inches wide because he didn't ever want to have to feel like he had turned sideways to get through. But the the Rivette family was known for its sense of hospitality. They uh, hosted beautiful dinners and gatherings in their home um, all the time. And they entertained royalty from Europe, the upper crust of Denver, the upper crust of Breckenridge, and just, you know, wonderful people from all over the country. So they were known for hospitality. They were also known for um, a great sense of style and all. And, And I, in redoing this house with Randy, we have really brought back the sense of style and um, an elegance, but elegance that can be used very uh, nicely in a, in a casual living kind of way. Um, and certainly we have entertained a lot in this house. So we're carrying on the tradition of the Rivettes. In fact, we had our very first um, dinner party at the house um, the first summer that we were under construction or reconstruction. And I had no running water, no electricity, and no plumbing. So um, one of our guests, I just found this out recently, said to to my husband, Randy, you know, someone keeps running those sprinklers way up on the berm. And a berm is a very high hillside that usually is placed there for um, a break in um, uh, not just wind and all, but for aesthetics purposes so that, you know, you don't necessarily see the house across the street. And she said, keeps running and running those sprinklers up there. And Randy laughed and said, that's because if you want to have water to wash your hands or clean off a plate or something from this hose that's in the yard, then those sprinklers have to be running to get this hose to work. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, we 
were really in a, a very fluctuating kind of uh, mode at that point. And yet we had 14 people for dinner and brought all of the food, all of the dishes, all of the glassware. And we did not use paper plates and plastic cups. We used, I had, I had beautiful glassware and the whole bit. And uh, we brought it all from the little tiny condo that uh, we were staying in, the family condo at the time. And the kitchen there was about the size of a postage stamp. And in fact, that's where I wrote my second cookbook, Where's My Spatula, was from that little tiny kitchen. So I'm here to say, you don't need to have the perfect kitchen the perfect house, the perfect time, or anything else to be able to gather people together around the table. And certainly at Thanksgiving, that is supreme. Uh, you know, it just doesn't matter if you're eating dinner in the basement, eating dinner in a dining room, or eating on the porch. Um, it's that sense of gathering together and the conversations and the bond and the friendship and the love. That's key. Well, see, I think it's interesting, too, that you even when you were renovate, renovating this new home, you brought your home from Dallas to this new home to entertain your guests there. And that having this home aesthetic is not necessarily the place, but the people there. Do you agree? Oh, absolutely, I agree. Um, it, you know, it's funny, in all the years that we um, took our kids up there, Jacqueline, and, and just, you know, had vacation time and all, we really never made any friends up there. And we're talking 30 years. We never made friends. But once we bought Swan's Nest, everything changed. And at that point... Um, the friends just happened to appear and friendships came about very easily. And we found that one of the most important aspects of having a second home up there was the friendships that we have made. Lucky for us, our next door neighbors are fabulous cooks and they love to entertain. And unlike where we live in Dallas, where people tend to go out to dinner mm -hmm. and they meet at the restaurants and all, there people entertain in their homes. And I love that because I think that's a very personal sharing when you uh, open your home up and have people over. And, um, and you know, it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be fancy. You don't even have to make the whole thing yourself. You can pick it up at the grocery store. But it's it's the fact that you are sharing yourselves with your guests. That's that's what's so important. And and um, to me, it's one of the greatest joys of life. Oh, I I agree with you whole wholeheartedly. Um, who in your life has most influenced your cooking, and what have you garnered? from his or her experience with food? I think I touched on that earlier. That would have to be, that would have to be my mother. And I was, even as, you know, I hesitated because I thought, should it be my grandmother? I think it was my, I think it is my mother. Um, my mother is a good cook. She's not a extraordinary cook, but she's a good cook. But she loves to entertain and um, she and my dad both have had so many parties that they have hosted. Uh, dinner parties for business, 
parties for, with friends, etc. And as one of the four girls, uh, otherwise known as the kitchen crew, um, it was our job to help in the kitchen and to help serve, to help clean up, sometimes to entertain. Uh, my sisters and I call ourselves the sweet tarts. Uh, we, uh, <laughs> we, we each have our talents. Um, several of us sing, and, um, and a couple play piano. And so we were the entertainment group, too, sometimes, um, until we got to the point that we rebelled and said, hey, we're not doing this anymore. <laughs> but, um, but really, I think, I think it was all the entertaining that really influenced me to become um, a cook who loved to have people come share the food and the friendship. And, um, and you know, when my mom entertained, she made it look easy and it wasn't a big deal. You just, you just did it. And, um, I think I, I really picked up on that, that entertaining doesn't have to be a chore. It certainly doesn't have to be difficult and it's not a stressful thing. It's just a natural outpouring of wanting to share some time with your friends. And I think that has influenced me more than anything. And, and my mom is, uh, my mom's responsible for that. How is it so easy to entertain? I think a lot of people might disagree because <laughs> they think of an upcoming event and uh -huh. all the things that they have to do and putting all this together and making everything per perfect. Right. How much of that really matters? I mean, how much how much time should you devote to presentation or there or should you focus more on the people? Absolutely, Jacqueline. You focus on the people. That's the reason for having the event is to spend time with the people and to share yourself with them. Um, I think the reason many people are hesitant to entertain or find it difficult, and, and maybe the better word is to host a gathering at the house, um, is because they do think that everything has to be perfect. And perfect is a word I don't use very often. Unlike some people who are really into entertaining and they talk about the perfect this and the perfect that. Um, I think you get caught up in the whole idea of perfection and forget that this is supposed to be fun. <laughs> you know? And, um, and I think a big part of making it fun is thinking ahead. What would you like to have? at least pick out one or two things that you'd like to serve. Um, what are you really good at? You know, some people make the best chicken casserole, but they never think about that chicken casserole as something they can serve to guests. They think, oh, we just have that at home every day and that kind of thing. I would never serve that to my guests. Well, why not? If it's the best chicken casserole you know, I can't think of a better thing to serve than that. It's also, you know, maybe a less expensive dish. I mean, why spring for, you know, the most expensive everything and put yourself in the hole trying to entertain? 
get out that beautiful recipe that you make every time. But maybe you serve it differently. Maybe instead of a big casserole dish or a, uh, you know, one of those aluminum foil pans or something, put it into individual serving dishes, maybe large size souffle dishes or something, mm-hmm. um, and, and serve it that way. And everybody gets their own. And it looks beautiful on the plate. And maybe you don't put cheese on the top when you make it yourself, but maybe you put a little cheese on top for this one. Or maybe you chop a little uh, parsley and just sprinkle that on at the end so that it has that, you know, that beautiful look of green. That is the way to entertain. So it's the little things that make the difference. Absolutely. It's always the little things. And you can take your everyday meals and just soup them up a little bit. Just zip them up with the way you serve it. And I can't think of anything better. And it's probably tastier than trying to handle a new recipe that you're not familiar with. By the time your guests arrive, it's not quite finished. You're exhausted. You look, you know, you're hot and flushed. And and what a way to start. I'd rather I'd rather go to someone's home and have hamburgers and and, um, you know, and people are afraid to ask me to dinner. Uh, so if anyone out there wants to ask me to dinner, I'm perfectly fine with a hamburger. You know, uh, um, skip the onions, please. Um, and a little mustard and ketchup on top. I'm a happy camper. It doesn't have to be fancy. I think just go to your repertoire of your favorite things, and that's what people love. Sounds good. I will try that at my next gathering um well let me know how it goes spare okay. the stress absolutely do that. <laughs> <laughs> well then the thing is then you want to do it again you know yeah. and and if you if you try and put on the dog and go to the unfamiliar then um you know you just don't want to do that again you say oh that was way too much work that was exhausting stick to stick to what you know and it's fun so and you might have just answered this, but what is your number one cooking tip? Stick to what you know, and it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the other thing is, um, I think um, I think making sure that you have all your ingredients before you start. And being willing to substitute if you need to. I'm, I'm not one for always running out to the grocery store because I'm missing one ingredient. Um, I'm a great substitutor. <laughs> yeah. I, and I think, I think that's, that's probably important. <laughs> so you have, well, can you tell me a little bit about your newest cookbook, uh, Where's My Spatula? Fast, Healthy Meals When Your Kitchen or Life is a Mess? A mess. Uh, personally, that sounds like my kind of cookbook. Yes, yes. You know, I think it's many people's kind of cookbook. Where's my spatula? I wrote that while we were in the midst of restoring the house. And, you know, as I said before, I'm proof that you don't have to have the perfect kitchen or anything else to put together a great meal. Um, I wrote this book because I realized that um, I, I should back up. My publisher wanted me to do another cookbook. And, um, and we, we'd been talking about it for many months, hadn't quite figured out what that next book was going to be. The first one was called The Family Table. And, um, so one day as I was coming back from the condo, uh, from the condo, from the house, from Swan's Nest, back to our little condo with Randy, uh, it was seven o'clock in the evening. I hadn't thought about dinner. I very often didn't think about dinner. Um, and I just opened the refrigerator and opened the cupboards and, and looked and thought, hmm, 
what will I make? Okay, I have some of this, some of that, some of that. I have a couple of staples in the cupboard. Boom. I had dinner on the table in 30 minutes. And it was tasty. And it was nutritious. And it looked great. And it smelled even better. And um, that's the way I cooked. And it hit me all of a sudden. Oh, my gosh. Well, that's what many people do. They come home and they open the fridge and they open the cupboards because... They hadn't thought about dinner either, and but sometimes they get there and they go, okay, so now what? So this book, Where's My Spatula, is um, a solution, a repertoire, or an arsenal of recipes that use ordinary ingredients that are in the fridge, in the freezer, and in the cupboards, and that you can take and create these incredible meals in 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, without a lot of intensive cooking. And um, and because I am an RN, and I'm still licensed um, as a registered nurse in Texas, I went to UT nursing school, um, I, um, you know, I do think about nutrition. I am not a low-fat cook, and I am not a... Um, low this and low that cook either. But I always focus on good nutrition and well-rounded meals. And that includes a little dessert, like the pumpkin swirl cheesecake, because I think you need a little something sweet sometimes to take care of your cravings. You just don't eat the whole thing. So, um, so that was how Where's My Spatula came to be. It has a hundred recipes that are just you know, guaranteed to knock your socks off. Things like creamy spinach fettuccine with mushrooms and prosciutto. Oh, that's making and me hungry. Isn't that? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Just the title. And grilled, skewered Cajun shrimp. I mean, you know, it, it doesn't get better than that. Um, grilled pork chops with wasabi ginger marinade. I mean, oh my gosh, it's just so, so <laughs> yummy. But then, you know, you got to have a little dessert in there too. And so I have sautéed pears with vanilla brown sugar sauce. And when I made that, that was just a, I had some canned pears and I just use canned pears for that one. Uh, I had some canned pears. I always had brown sugar. I had vanilla bean. And, and I thought, oh, there's got to be something I can do with this. And so I just started this. And it kind of a little take on a Bananas Foster mm -hmm, kind mm -hmm. of idea. And um, our neighbors came in while I had this on the stove. So I thought, oh, I'm going to take some over to them. And I had some coffee ice cream in the freezer. So I, I sauteed these pears and the brown sugar and the vanilla bean and, you know, all this. And, and put it there on, on two plates with, with a scoop of coffee ice cream. And they came back with the bowls licked. And they said, oh, my gosh. That was the most incredible thing. Well, you know, I liked it too, and I still do. But it's um, the whole book is just full of recipes that taste divine, as as fabulous as the titles. So, and I and I think with your last example, I think that too kind of plays on 
the fact that it doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be have a whole lot of ingredients for it to taste good. Oh, really? It doesn't have to take a long time.、Either. No, you can make that whole recipe. the The pears,、uh, the pear recipe, and the brown sugar、uh, vanilla sauce in about ten minutes. And、uh, but it's it's definitely worthy of company. That is a company kind of dessert. But for ten minutes, boy, I can serve that to Randy on a weeknight. And you know, so I always keep a can of pears in the in the cupboard because you never know, and I just might get that feeling. You know, mmm, gotta have that pear、yeah. recipe with the brown sugar. And that's the other、sauce. nice thing too is that you know these are items that you can buy. Ahead of time, or you know, even several weeks before, right? And it can just be in your pantry as a staple. That's right. And in fact, Jacqueline, in this particular book, I did something that、um, fans of my first cookbook had asked me to do. They said, "Christy, we love the family table. We use it all the time. But when you write your next book, would you please put in?" A, a pantry list. What you keep in your pantry, so that we know what to keep in our pantries. And so I did. So I put in a section at the very beginning called a well-stocked kitchen. And I have the pantry list, and I have what I keep in my fridge, and what I keep in my freezer, and then the dried herbs and spices that I tend to use a lot. And、um, they're very, you know, very straightforward. Most of the ingredients are not expensive. And I think we're all watching our grocery budgets. I know I am, and、um, and these are these are just things that you you keep you you get them when they're on sale, and、uh, keep them in your fridge or your freezer or your cupboard, and you can make so many meals. And the whole idea is skip the fast food lane, skip the quick, you know. Dinner in the restaurant kind of idea. Sorry, restaurants, but、uh, it's expensive, and it's not always the healthiest cooking. And go home after work or after the school activities or whatever, and put a terrific meal on the table in thirty minutes. You're going to save yourself a lot of money. You'll save yourself a lot of time because it takes less time to do that than it does to do the restaurant deal. And、um, you're nutritionally, you're just going to be healthier. Because you're eating great food, and it's fresh, and it tastes fabulous, and you don't need as much salt and and that kind of thing, because you're using all these great herbs, and、um, and and just fresh flavors. Yes,、yeah, so、that sounds wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all for fresh flavors.、Um, and then、um, one last question: You travel around the country doing. These cooking classes, yes, and I'm sure all those who attend get are very lucky and <laughs> surely get lots of advice. And, We have a good time. <laughs> yes.、Um, what is the goal of your cooking classes, and what do you hope people get from your cooking classes or take away from your cooking classes?、Um, I'm really happy you asked that question. In my cooking classes, what my goal is is to, and actually in my television shows, in my radio interviews, in my cookbooks, it's always the same goal: is to inspire people to gather around the table and celebrate daily life, to cook something at home, and not for the drudgery of it, but for the sheer joy of creating a. A 
delicious, flavorful, nutritious meal for themselves and for their families. And then sometimes to invite others over to to join in that meal because it is around the table that we bond. That's where families communicate. It helps to strengthen families. It is proven that families who dine together, the children are less into drug use and other um, activities that we'd prefer they not be doing uh, because they have that sense of bonding and strength, family strength, and love and care around the table. If I can, in my classes, inspire people to go home and cook, then I know I'm making a difference. And when you are closer to each other, you are closer to your friends, you are closer to your colleagues, and I believe you become closer to God. And so that is why I love to teach cooking classes, to write books, and to do television shows, and to be here with you, Jacqueline, (laughs) is to inspire people to um, go home and cook and gather around the table and celebrate the fact that you're all together. Well, thank you very much, Christy. This was Christy Rost. Thank you so much, Jacqueline. A Home for Christy Rost airs at 1 p.m. Thanksgiving Day on KWBU-DTV, Channel 34.1, and on KWBU-Create-TV, Channel 34.2, Thanksgiving morning at 9, at 3 that afternoon, and at 9 in the evening. From KWBU, have a pleasant and safe Thanksgiving holiday.